Um, first verse of Isaiah 55 says, Come all you who are thirsty. Come if you're thirsty. And I wanted to talk about thirst for a second because it's uh, something that has kind of a unique uh, uniqueness to it uh, that we experience very well here on the high desert. We get to experience it uh, sometimes a little more rapidly than other people do. Uh, thirst is a, a very interesting thing. I looked, did a little bit of research on it and uh, talked to a couple of friends about it. Had one very close friend that just went through an extreme experience with thirst that I'll tell you about here this morning. Uh, but some things that I pulled off of the internet that I thought were really kind of interesting. Um, there are basically three stages to dehydration. And some of you may already be experiencing some of this. How many of you feel thirsty right now? Your mouth is a little pasty. You could use a drink of water. You are experiencing stage one of dehydration. Now, we don't think of it like that, do we? We think, ah, I'm just thirsty. But there are some other significant things that happen in stage one. Interestingly enough, your body is made up of about 96% water. And all you have to lose is 1% of that water. 1%. And you are starting dehydration. It starts with that pasty feeling in your mouth. And that feeling that I could just use a drink of water. At 2%, you begin to start to feel anxious. And I used to think this was kind of silly. Uh, my wife, when we travel, experiences a little anxiety about getting thirsty. I have to make sure if we're going to go to the valley or take a long trip that we have bottles of water in the car. Because I, I don't know, I'm kind of like a camel, I guess. I can go for miles and miles. I'll just get a drink when we stop next time. But for Cheryl, she will experience the anxiety of the dehydration, and she has to have a drink of water right now. Uh, and that's actually another part of this. Uh, actually, it's still in the first phase of uh, dehydration. As you start to feel anxious, we're going to talk about some things that are awkward in church this morning, okay? Uh, so if I offend you, I apologize in advance, but part of the second stage of dehydration is constipation. Sorry, we all go through it. You know, everybody who's had it, raise your hand. Okay, we're all done. Uh, that's part of this whole phase. It's not generally, it can be caused by something you eat, but most of the time constipation is just because you haven't had enough water. So you need to drink some more water. Uh, part of that other is heartburn. If you lose 4% of your body water, you start to feel nauseous and dizzy. You start to experience fatigue. Interestingly enough, if at back at 2% of the water loss in your body, you will lose 20% of your body's energy. That's why athletes are told, drink water, drink water, drink water, and you see them hitting the water bottles on the sidelines all the time, because with just 2% decrease in your body water, you begin to experience fatigue. 
At 6%, you start to lose coordination in your body and you start to lose coherence in your speech. At 11%, it's not enough just to drink water. Now we get to the point where you require medical intervention. At 20% loss, you're dead. And that whole process can take place between now and next Sunday morning. It can happen that fast. So thirst is a huge, huge thing. Every coach that I have ever known has told their athletes, here's part of the gross part again this morning, okay? If your urine is not clear, you are not drinking enough water. And that first time I ever heard that was when my oldest daughter was a swimmer. She's in water, she was in water four hours a day. And the coach would tell her, your urine must be clear or you're not drinking enough water. Then I heard a wrestling coach say it, and a football coach, and a basketball coach, and a volleyball coach. Every coach I've ever known has said that. And I got out to the Oregon National Guard Youth Challenge program for one of the first times many, many years ago. I go out there with every class that comes through now. And uh, before I speak to them, I usually hit the head. Well, in the Navy, it's a head. That's Army, so it's a latrine. Uh, just before I speak, I go in. And you know what they have in their bathroom above the urinals? A color chart. <laughs> and it's in gradations of yellow all the way to brown. And at first stage, that's just a little discolored. I know, is this really gross for church? <laughs> it's going to get worse, okay, just so you know. Uh, the first stage, it says, okay, if, you're, if your pee is this color, drink one canteen of water. And if it's this color, drink two canteens. If it's this color, go to sick bay. And so constantly when I go out, now I go out for career day, I go out to teach weather for all of the platoons, and I have a, about an hour and a half, two hour time with them that... Uh, we talk about some inspirational things. And periodically, through one of those presentations, I see this symbol go up. And that's the uh, silent symbol that says, can I go potty, please? And that's because they are constantly ingesting water. I'm glad H is here this morning. H.D. Waddell is our principal here at Bend High School, uh, at least for a couple of more weeks. Uh, he has the privilege now of going over to be full-time chaplain for the Oregon State Beaver football team, and I couldn't be more proud. Well, I was sharing this last week with him out here in the commons, and uh, uh, he said, oh my gosh, he said, you will not believe what's in the Oregon State football uh, locker room right above the urinals. A great big sign that says, pee clear. And under that is the Oregon National Guard Youth Challenge color chart. And that is a directive to save them from just losing 2% of their water. Because if they lose that much water on the football field, they will not make it through the game. Thirst. It's huge. And he has, Isaiah has this great, great solution. He says, come to the waters 
And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk. I don't want you just to have water. I want you to have the best stuff to drink there is. Central Oregon is replete with that. Number one, we have the best water on the planet. We had friends that now live in the Midwest that would come up here from Vallejo to vacation. And they would drink, they asked, where's your bottled water, your Brita? I said, oh, we don't have one. Just take a drink out of the tap. In Vallejo, you cannot drink tap water. It is awful. They came up here. Tony got a drink out of our tap one morning, and he wanted to know where our filtration and cooling system was. I said, no, that's just how it gets here. And he, when they came up the next time, do you know what his kids said? Oh, they didn't say, oh, we want to go to the park or go fishing or skiing at the lake or all this. We want to go to Bend and have some water. <laughs> I thought, man, do we take that for granted or what? Well, we've got the best water and the best coffee and the best wine and the best beer and all of the rest of that. Isaiah said, I want you to have the very best. And guess what? You're going to buy this without money and without cost. Do you know when you have no money and you go buy something without cost, do you know what it is? It's free. He says, I've got the very best thing for you, and the good news here is it's free. I'm not going to charge you for this. In fact, I see God kind of getting the giggles with this one. He said, this is free. Look at the next verse. He said, why would you spend money on what isn't bread and your labor on what doesn't satisfy. It's almost like he's saying, really, are you serious? You're out investing in all this other stuff, and this is free. If you're thirsty, come on, have some. But there's a caveat here. He says, listen. And when God says, listen to me, I'm figuring that's probably a good idea to listen. But in this verse, he says, listen. Listen to me. And the next verse later, he says, give ear, hear me. He says it four times in two verses. I figure I ought to pay attention. There's something that's going on here. It's a lot like the guy that was talking to his son in the book of Proverbs, chapter 7. He said, listen, here's how it works out in the world. You are going to go out into the world, young man, and you are going to run into some very loose women. And this is how they behave, and this is what they're going to entice you to do. But listen to me. Pay attention. This is what I want you to be aware of when you go out there. When Paul wrote to the Ephesians in chapter 5, verse 15, he said, I want you to walk circumspectly. Now, I had to go back to the King James Version to find that word. NIV says, be careful then how you live. Be aware of what's going on around you. Don't walk through life like a sheep. Have you ever seen people that walk down the sidewalk like this? Or worse, like this. Ever seen anybody walk into a light post doing that? We have video at the studio of that. That's, it's awesome. <laughs> Worse yet, people have walked out into traffic doing that. 
They are not walking circumspectly. They don't have a clue what's going on around them. Completely oblivious. It's like following that person down the grocery aisle. They think they're the only one in the store. And they put their cart sideways in the aisle and, and start reading stuff. And, and it's a traffic jam on either side of them. Not a clue. He said, I don't want you to do that. I don't want you to be dull to what's going on around you. And that happens to us all the time. Number one, all you have to do is lose 2% of your body water and you start to fog over. I came home from work one day after this unusually long and arduous day. It was a hard day. And I came through the front door. Cheryl had been home all day, and she had this long list of things that she just wanted to talk about. And as soon as I came through the door, I was, hi, honey, da 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 And we stay, and she, I say, we started, she started talking about her day, which I so totally understand, because she was home with a little dog all day. And that was it. And there was a lot going on that uh, she wanted me to know about and I should have been interested in. But I had had this day where I'd been shot full of holes and I stood there like a deer in the headlights. And all I heard was the Charlie Brown move me. Wah, 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 wah. And she was excited and talking to me and telling me about this stuff and I just stood there. And she stopped, no lie, she stopped right in the middle of a sentence and she went, you can't hear me, can you? <laughs> and I didn't hear a word. And you know what I was thinking? In my little brain, I was l watching her. I was looking at her right in the eye. And, and, I, and I thought to myself, she's talking. <laughs> I, sh I should understand. <laughs> Nothing. It was, nothing was cohesive. And it was just because I had been dulled to what was going on around me. Paul, Isaiah, they all say, I don't want you to go through life like that. I want you to stand up, open your eyes, be alert to what's going on. And part of that gets dulled if you're thirsty and you're hungry. That starts to go away. His instructions here or listen to me and eat what is good. Now, he's going to make a little transition here, but the first thing I thought of, and this attests to the way I grew up, the first, eat what is good. Let's see, pizza is good, and hoagies are good, and donuts afterward aren't bad, and oh, yeah, that apple fritter on the way to sister's is, is good, and that's not what he's after. I bear the evidence of having eaten like that much in my life. Uh, I grew up in western New York, fruit and vegetable belt of America. I mean, it was just an amazing place, surrounded by grass-fed beef. We didn't have any other kind when I was a kid. Uh, and it was just an amazing place, but we always had cookies in the cookie drawer, and I could find them in my sleep. My wife said, yeah, we, we, on the way down, she says, we grew up in a generation where you had chips and ding-dongs in the cupboard. Ding-dongs in the cupboard. Now she's married to one, so it hadn't improved much. <laughs> but he says, eat what is good. And I have resisted eating what is good for me for a long time. Um, my wife is absolutely wonderful at this. She is the best shopper. And she, she knows more about nutrition than I will ever know. And I've always thought of it as being kind of a pain. Because a lot of what we have in our 
cabinets right now, frankly, looks like birdseed and I, I mean, it's, it goes on and on, but I'm being, I'm being slowly converted. Part of it bothers me a lot. Um, you know, the, the, do you know what the number one market is in America right now, popularity-wise? Number one market is Trader Joe's. Uh, down about three notches from that is Whole Foods. And there are all these health food stores. Fred Meyer, number 12. I only get this useless information because I work in a newsroom. But uh, it's interesting to me that these healthier stores now are the most popular. But the, prob the problem I have, the part of it that bothers me, and maybe I'm alone here, but it is so expensive. Oh, my gosh. With the help of a friend at work, I've nicknamed Whole Foods Whole Paycheck. <laughs> it's, it's like I go in there, and they have some good things. I like going to the store, and their produce is nice and all this other stuff. But, my gosh, I have to hock my firstborn to get out of there. And, it's, and I went past the meat counter, and this just lit me up. I saw a chicken breast in the meat counter for $9.99 a pound. I went off. And I thought, chicken breast, $9.99, this sucker better tap dance on my coffee table. <laughs> At 10 bucks a pound, I want dinner and a show. <laughs> Holy cow. Well, we're finding better ways to, and more economical ways to eat, but it's crazy what I'm putting in my body right now. I, Cheryl was gone, and I did this voluntarily the other day. We bought one of those Nutribullet things, and we're making our own smoothies and all that stuff, and, and it's a good deal. These things are nice, uh, and I'm actually starting to enjoy some of this stuff, but I made one the other day. It had beet greens and blueberries and strawberries and some orange juice and some milk and some other green thing and some protein powder, and I sat down with a small ball of popcorn and 32 ounces of what vaguely resembled pond scum. <laughs> For, and that was my lunch. Well, I rather enjoyed it and bragged about it when Cheryl got home. I did this all by myself. Uh, and she was real proud of me. So it's something I'm starting to acclimate to. But you know, I'm noticing something odd that's happening. I've lost a little over five pounds and I'm not hungry. Well, I can eat donuts all day and still be hungry. So the encouragement here to eat good has been a real payoff. Do you know what else I have that I didn't have too much of before? I have actual, real, honest-to-goodness energy. And it lasts all day long. And I'm enjoying that. So I'm being converted. My wife is starting to win me over here a little bit. And you know what else is happening? My real taste, the, my desire for those things that are actually bad for me is starting to go away. And I'm beginning to enjoy some real food. Now, for some of you, it's, you're going, and Cheryl may be in on this, it's like, well, duh, told you. <sighs> I'm coming around, guys, I'm coming around. Isaiah's about to make a little switch here. He says, I want you to eat what is good, and your soul will delight in the richest fare. Now I'm confused again. If I eat what is good, my soul will delight in, richest, in its richest fare. Wait a minute. Spinach doesn't do a thing for my soul. 
So he's going to transition just a little bit here. He says, give ear and come to me. Hear what I say that your soul may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my, with you, my faithful love promised to David. Now he's making this little bit of a switch. He says, I want you to enjoy the richness of life that David knew. And you're right. It doesn't come from spinach. So listen to me. Give ear. Hear what I have to say to you. His concern really isn't about our physical needs. I mean, it is. He knows that if, you, if your physical needs aren't met, you will perish. But the food that you eat is intended to make you energetic and healthy. The water you drink is to keep your cells alive. Do you realize that the toxins that accumulate in the ce every cell in your body, bone cells, muscle cells, organ cells, skin cells, they start to harden without enough water. And the toxins in those that the water usually flushes away now gets imprisoned in those cells and you begin to die. Organs begin to lose their function. Your skin begins to get clammy. And, start, and is all dried out and starts to sag. I mean, your body really starts to break down. The same is true with good food. Your body breaks down without that good food. But he says elsewhere in Scripture, look, I know that you need food. I feed the little birds, I'll feed you. I know that you need clothing. I clothe the flowers, I will clothe you. That's not my real primary concern. My real concern is here, what's happening inside? Who are you? And where are you? There are some stages of spiritual dehydration that we should probably recognize a little bit. Spiritually tired. Have you ever felt that? It's like you're irritable and you don't know why. There is maybe a certain sadness that follows you around and you don't know how to describe it. You don't know what the problem is. When somebody says what's wrong, it's I don't know. And it's just gloomy. There's a restlessness. You worry about nonsense. And you really worry about the big things. And maybe you just can't sleep. A lot of times we think we need a pill to get over all of that. We need psychotherapy. Actually, I want you to just maybe shift your thinking for just a minute and think maybe that's my first sign of some spiritual dehydration. From there, the next stage, you don't care. I don't care about my walk. I don't care about church. I don't care about praying. I don't care about the Bible. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but if you've been there, you know you've been there. I've been there. That's the next stage. And the final stage is complete disinterest, what I call spiritual death. Now, you haven't, it's not that you've lost your salvation, 
but you in function are spiritually dead. James talks about that. He talks about a faith that is dead. At no time does he indicate to anybody that they've lost their salvation. He's just saying, you have a faith that is of no use right now. The final stage of spiritual dehydration. Well, there's, a, there's some self-tests that you can go through, just like there are some self-tests for physical dehydration. Um, you know that pasty feeling. Half of you confessed to having it this morning. Uh, the color and smell of your urine. Probably not the most attractive thing to be analyzing, but uh, that's a good indicator. Got to follow the lead at OYCP and the Oregon State football team. If it's not clear, drink some water. Stage two of that is mean, of dehydration. You're only going to the bathroom two or three times a day. One of my big complaints with trying to stay hydrated is I'm in the place all day long. That's exactly how it should be. Spiritual dehydration can be countered, but there's some indicators for it that are just as obvious as your physical dehydration. Jesus said in Matthew 15 and Mark 7 that it is what comes from the mouth that makes you unclean, not what goes in your mouth. Old Testament uh, teaching had a lot of dietary restrictions, and it said if you ate these things, you became unclean. Jesus kind of turned the table a little bit. He said, now it's not, so much, it's not what you put in your mouth, it, it's what comes out of your mouth. And take a look. Turn to Matthew 12, verse 34. Keep your finger in Isaiah 55. We're going to come back to that. Matthew chapter 12. Verse 34, you brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's an automatic thing. Whatever your heart is full of, that's what your mouth is going to say. You can't stop it. They say the most wicked animal on the planet has its den right behind the teeth. You will speak automatically of the things that your heart is full of. So the question then becomes, what's your heart full of? What are we filling our hearts with? I love to cook. I'm not the best cook on the planet. I'm still learning, uh, but I do a few things okay. One thing I have definitely learned is that you cannot create good food from bad ingredients. If you want a good meal, you need to have good ingredients when you're preparing that meal. That's another duh for anybody that spends time in the kitchen. You know that. Your computer gets it. If you put garbage into your computer, if the information you put into your computer is erroneous, it's wrong, you are not going to get accurate information out of your computer. Your body is the same way. If you want to stay hydrated, you must drink good water. 
Severe dehydration. I talked to Randy Jacobs. Some of you know Randy and Lindy. They go here to Antioch. And Randy has, he's a doctor over here at Ben Memorial Clinic. He has been to the Congo and Uganda and other places with medical teams northwest. And I asked him, uh, what is the most severe case of dehydration that you have seen? And he said that uh, it was in the Congo. It was while he was in Africa. And he said it was dehydration that actually led to death. Uh, at that point, it creates a need for intravenous intervention and uh, hydrating there. And there's a lot of cell damage, and it takes a long time to come back from that. Uh, it, is, it can be extremely severe. And a friend of mine just went through that this week. Uh, something maybe not quite that close, but very close. Uh, he had started developing a fever. Uh, he, wound, he had a blood infection that he was unaware of, and it really started to escalate. And he got home one day, and he was just, his skin was dry and clammy. He wasn't sweating anymore, and he had the shakes so bad he couldn't hardly open the front door. Got inside, and the house was freezing, so he went back outside and laid down on the hood of his car where he could stay warm and prayed. He, he told me uh, Friday, he said, Lord, it, I, I, he said, I prayed, Lord, if this is really severe, I'm kind of helpless here, so bring somebody by that can help me. Within seconds, his neighbors had seen him and came over and said, Pat, are you okay? And he said, no, I'm not. I can't function this and that and the other. And he said, get in and took him right to Ben Memorial Clinic. They did a quick examination. The ambulance took him from there to St. Charles, and he was on IVs and antibiotics and everything else, and he was down to where he had lost about 8 to 10% of his body fluid. Everything was starting to shut down. What they needed was water, but unfortunately, you get to the point sometimes where your body's going to reject a lot of what you try to feed it. As someone that gets that dehydrated, just taking a drink of water isn't going to help. They wind up puking it all up because the body just rejects it. It requires that medical intervention when it gets that severe. You require some spiritual intervention when you suffer from spiritual dehydration. The correlation is almost exactly the same. And God has to come, sometimes come at you a little sideways. Uh, I love the way he, that Jesus approaches the woman at the well. Here's this woman that comes out in the hottest part of the day to draw water. And she doesn't even have anything to draw water with. Well, come to find out that she is a, she's been rejected by the rest of the female population in the community because she is a very loose woman. She's been sleeping around. And because she's been rejected by them, the only time of day that she's permitted to come and get water is when it's the hottest and everybody's in out of the heat. And Jesus is, happens to be sitting at the well when she comes up to draw water. And his first comment to her was, Give me a drink. And she starts spouting a lot of arguments. Oh, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. What are you talking to me for? You're not, we aren't even supposed to visit together. And Jesus stops and he said, you know, 
If you knew who it was that's talking to you, you would ask him for living water. And she said, what? wait a minute, this, is, uh, my, this well was passed down from Jacob through our family. You don't even have a right to sit here. What are you doing? Living water, what are you talking about? And he makes that same little subtle shift that Isaiah just made. He said, I have something more important that I want you to talk about. Where are you spiritually? How's your walk? In this case, he told her, go get your husband. And she said, well, I don't have one. He says, you know, you're right, because you got, you got a problem here. And through that encounter at the well, over something physical that she wanted, that she was thirsty for, he said, let me use that as an illustration of how you're thirsty in life in many, many other ways, in many more important ways. So how do I get hydrated spiritually. I'm going to give you a homework assignment. Ken doesn't do this, but I'm going to, okay? This one's easy. When you get home, you need to take out a tablet of paper, and I want you to number down the left-hand side from 1 to 176. Okay, it's going to take you a few pages of paper to do this. And then I want you to turn to Psalm 119. And I want you to go through Psalm 119 one verse at a time, and right next to each number for each verse, it's 176 verses long, I want you to write down the benefit of being in God's Word. Of just reading, sometimes it's called principles, sometimes it's called uh, laws, uh, it's called His Word, a lot of different terms, but there are benefits in just about every single verse there to being in God's Word. And then I want you to get to the end of that and ask yourself, is it really worth it for me to spend some time in this book? Verse 9 says, By being in God's word, you're made pure. Verse 16, With his word, you live with delight. In verse 30, you'll know truth. 34, you have understanding. 40, you're preserved. 49, you get hope. 82, you're comforted. 84, you learn endurance. 98, you're wiser than your enemies. 114, you're protected. 133, you get direction. 165, you have peace. That's only a dozen of the verses, 176 verses, and every one of them has something there for you. How would you like that? Hope, comfort, endurance, protection, direction, peace. How many would like those in their life? All of us. And it comes just from one thing, time in the book. Ken Weitzma, five years ago, when we came to this church, said something I have never, ever forgotten. He said, care enough about truth to go deep with it. It will change your life. It will change your walk. It will revolutionize the, your Christian life. I told you my computer gets it. 
If I put garbage in, I get garbage out. So I'm careful about the data that I enter into my computer so that the information that, it, that comes out of it is accurate. Believe it or not, my car gets it. I drive a 15-year-old car with over 100,000 miles on it. And if I put crummy gasoline into that car, going down the road, it runs awful. I filled my gas tank Friday, and it cost $88.59. I sucked all the air out of the car. But I realized that putting good gas into my car makes for a good performing car. That thing runs like a sewing machine. Life is just exactly like that. My body is starting to figure this out. I should have learned this 50 years ago. But if I put good food and good water, I get good performance out of this. Your Christian walk is exactly the same way. That's what Isaiah has been saying and Christ has been saying to us all along. So I'm going to close with a couple pieces of advice this morning, okay? The first one is stop trying so hard. That's counterintuitive, isn't it? We live in a productive society. That's a blessing and a curse all at the same time. It is wonderful that we have figured out how to get so much production out of the time that we have been given. But that demands, well, it doesn't demand, it kind of converts our thinking into saying, everything that I do must be productive. Every moment I must be producing something. And we go to scripture the same way. Oh, Bob's right. I've been out of, out of touch here. I need to read the Bible. I think I'll read it this afternoon. And you'll wind up, many of you will wind up doing exactly what happens to the person that's spiritually dehydrated, that tries to slam a bottle of water. They puke it up right away. You'll throw it down and say, ah, it's not working. So I'm going to ask you to just take it in little bits, intravenously, if you will. Let the word just gradually change you and don't try to do anything. And, right, and we just kind of bristle at that. Well, I have to do something. The Bible says, love your neighbor as yourself. I have to go out now and love all my neighbors. And we get busier and busy. I, I don't. Jesus called his disciples away. He said, come on, let's just rest. Let's just visit. Let's just talk. Spend some time with me and I will change you. This is as automatic as the Christian life gets. We have a crab tree. We did have. We sold the house we were in for, gosh, we were there for just about 29 years to the day and sold it at the end of last summer. And I had planted a crab tree in the backyard and I planted it so that it would provide a little shade for one window that used to get this blaring sun in. And that thing had really taken root. And every year that thing would, uh, would just, uh, just have volumes of fruit on it that we would never use. We'd leave it for the birds to eat. And not one time 
in the whole time that I saw that crab tree out there, did I ever see that crab tree going, come on, crab apples. <laughs> and through its own effort, it grew crab apples. That thing just stood there. Do you realize that the real value in the water cycle is not the water itself. Take a look at verses... Well, we'll start in 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word. Energy, shortwave energy from the sun passes through our atmosphere, does absolutely nothing to it. It is absorbed by the surface of the earth until the surface of the earth can hold no more, and then it re-radiates it into the atmosphere. It's a little bit like filling a cup with a, a glass with water. You can only get so much into it, and it starts to overflow. Shortwave energy from the sun absorbed by the earth is converted to longwave energy as it leaves the surface of the earth, and that's what heats the air around us. Now, when it strikes the surface of the water, the surface of the water starts to absorb some of that moisture and it, or some of that energy, and it starts to rise in temperature. And at some point, that liquid water has absorbed enough energy, and the molecular motion is fast enough that it is changed in, sub in form from a liquid to a gas. So it's no longer liquid water, it's now water vapor. What do we call that process? Evaporation. Now, that re-radiated energy, you guys didn't think you were going to get out of here without a weather lesson, did you? <laughs> that re-radiated energy now heats up the air around it. When it heats up, it does two things. It begins to expand, which allows for more, more room for more water to evaporate into it, and then it begins to rise, just like a hot air balloon. As it rises and gets away from the source of the heat into our atmosphere, it starts to condense. It gets colder, so that air condenses, and all those water molecules now start to bump together and form little water droplets that you can see hanging in the air. What's that process called? Happens to your iced tea pitcher when you set it out on the counter and it gets water on the outside. Condensation. Thank you, kids. You're helping your mom and dad here this morning. Condensation. When we can see the condensation in the air, we call it Clouds. Hadn't turned to rain yet. That process continues. We keep lifting more moisture up into the atmosphere. It condenses. There's a huge heat exchange that's going on. Pretty soon there's droplets up there that bump together. The atmosphere can't hold it anymore. Now we get the precipitation. The rain falls out. And it gathers in the puddles. And it continues in that, what's it called? The water cycle. I can't even begin to tell you how elated I was to find the water cycle in Scripture. And he uses this illustration to say, this is my word cycle. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, 
So it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. My word is the same way. It goes out from my mouth and it will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. As weather nerds, we are concerned altogether with the thermodynamic action of the water cycle and have literally no concern for its purpose. God said the purpose for this isn't so that a bunch of weather nerds can be fascinated by what's going on in the atmosphere. The real purpose for this water cycle is so that I have a constant source of moisture to be giving the plants on this planet so you have food and you have water to drink. Now the purpose for my word is very similar to that. I want you to bud and flourish exactly like those plants. Look at Isaiah's verse tw- Isaiah 55, verse 12. He said, you will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Yes, that's where the song came from. Love Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, the fruits of the Spirit. None of them come from... You can't try hard enough to bring the fruits of the Spirit. And this should be absolutely outstanding news because you know what you have to do? Just like my crab tree, all you have to do is plant yourself in the nutrients and just let it happen. It's that easy. You're off the hook. You don't have to work. It will become work. God says, I have some work for you to do. But this is one that you can't do. This is something that my word does in you and it does for you and it turns into the person that you are. So stop trying and start investing some time here. And it'll start out little by little. Years ago, I went through a really difficult time in my spiritual walk. I was dehydrated beyond my ability to describe it to you. It was a It was a dark time for me. And I had gotten past the I don't care and I don't want to pray and I don't want to go to church. I had gotten to the bitter end of it. This isn't worth it. This doesn't work. Just forget it. And I finally got to the point where I realized, you know, this is a bad place to be. And I sat and prayed, Lord, I don't want anything from you. I just want to see how big you are. I just want to know that you care for me a little bit. And I started to pray my way through Psalms. And it would be a verse at a time, sometimes just a couple words at a time. Started with Psalm 1. Some days I'd read a couple of words and get on, and I wasn't getting too very far. And I got up to Psalm 34. Psalm 34, 3 is our... My, our marriage verse. We have it engraved on our, inside of our wedding bands. 
And I got to Psalm 34, 6. And it destroyed me. It so broke me down. It just, I, I wept over that verse for two weeks. And to you, it would mean nothing. I had, I, I'd never had a, a life verse. Do you have a life verse? One that you've kind of claimed and that just means a lot to you? I had never had one. I always thought, man, I, I must be some kind of second-class Christian here. I don't have a life verse. And I, and I hit this one. And it has way become my, my life verse. And it might mean no, absolutely nothing to you. This poor man called. And the Lord heard him. And he rescued him out of all his troubles. And I lost it. And that was my intravenous shot to coming back to spiritual health. Now, I still have my bouts with dehydration, but it was never anything like that. I'm going to ask you to do the same thing. Don't try so hard. Let God make the change in you and just spend some time with him here. Okay? Would you do that? Now, the second piece of advice is kind of linked to this. Give up the regret. When you go on a hiatus like that, there's always a lot of regret about, uh, gosh, if I, hadn't, if I just hadn't done that, where would I be today? If you've had a bout with where you had this period of engagement with drug use in your past, give up the regret on that, okay? Yeah, I'm sorry it happened. Maybe you were abused as a child. I am sorry that's happened. We can't change anything that's gone on past, but you can make some changes today that will affect the future and let God administer the healing. If you can turn over to Joel, it's just a few chapters to the right in your Bible. This is a passage that you may want to hang on to. Joel was a, one of the minor prophets. It wasn't less important, it's just a smaller book. And he came at a time when the Lord was fairly disgruntled with his people and had allowed them to go through some pretty tough times. In fact, he didn't just allow it, he, he ordained it. And he said here, I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten, the great locust and the young locust and the other locusts, all in all. And I don't have time to go through the whole passage, but he's saying... Whatever was back there, whatever you lost, whatever you can't endure, now is the time for me to restore that and I'll take care of it for you. His invitation this morning is come to me if you're thirsty and listen. Let's pray. Father, I pray that uh, as we come to you, You'd meet us where we are. We're all in a different spot. Use your word for healing. Though we may only just start to dip our toes into the shallow end of the pool, Lord, uh, take us ultimately deep into your truth. I pray that the attributes and the principles that you fill our hearts with from your word would just become greater and greater in our lives every day. In Jesus' name, amen.